Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. What I love, 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 love about the NBA playoffs is how much the games actually matter. We have a long regular season where it's hard to, you know, get too worked up about any single game. Now the stakes are so much higher. There is pressure on everybody involved. Uh, So much changes so quickly. We're just five days into the NBA playoffs. And all of a sudden, uh, all these people have pressure on them in ways that they didn't before. I thought James Harden had the very most pressure on him coming into the playoffs. Don't think that has changed so much. But there are are new pressure points all around the league. And to talk about those, I'm very glad to be joined today by James Boyd of the Indianapolis Star. James, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Like you said, I'm excited to be watching very meaningful basketball. Obviously a lot on the line for, you know, a lot of the legacy talk and hot takes. But just uh, from a fan perspective, just be watching quality basketball, you know, basketball at the highest level is always a pleasure. So I asked James, and I did the same. We made a list of the four people or teams or however you want to take this, four entities uh, that have had the biggest increases in pressure on them since the playoffs started. What you know, what, what are we seeing in, the, in these first five games of the playoffs, and uh, who, who are we definitely going to have our eyes on going forward? So, James, why don't you start us off? On your list of uh, the four people, teams, whatever, with the most pressure increase on them since the playoffs started, who do you have number four? Number four, I have Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think that he is in a in a peculiar spot. I mean, when you're facing the Mavericks, you've dropped the game um, against them. When they didn't have Luka Doncic, you're supposed to be the guy. Um, you're looked at as the guy, although you're playing alongside another great player, Rudy Gobert. Um, I think that there's a considerable amount of pressure on him because they should really be two, up 2-0 facing that Mavericks team without Luka Doncic. So you, you've jumped right to the end for me. I've got the Donovan Mitchell-Rudy Gobert pairing. I've got that as number one uh, for very similar reasons. You have this opportunity in front of you against the Mavericks without Luka, and it's looked kind of rough so far. That series is tied uh, 1-1. And, and, you know, I see why you went with, with Donovan Mitchell. So much of the offense goes through him. Uh he, he has not been efficient. He's taken a ton of shots. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not going great for them. Uh, and really, if you look at this Mavericks team without Luka, I, I don't think a player should be defined by where he was drafted his whole career. Uh, but that does say something about the underlying athleticism and talent and just the base. Without Luka, this is a bunch of, you know, a late first round pick, second rounders, undrafted players like Look on paper, this this roster the Mavericks won a game with isn't that impressive. That doesn't really reflect well on Donovan Mitchell, who is one of the game's biggest stars. Uh, you got the weird thing going on with Rudy Gobert. We had one shot in game one. They force-fed him a little more in game two. That didn't go well at all. Uh, after the game, I, I don't think this got uh, noticed uh, enough. Uh, I heard Tim McMahon on uh, ESPN podcast point this out. I had to go back. I couldn't believe it. Jason Kidd pointed out, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, they got their ball, the ball to their playmaker, Gobert. I mean, just mocking the Jazz for not, you know, for just being, you know, so in their own heads where they feel like, well, we got to get Rudy some touches. Well, it's the playoffs. Like, you know, you, you got to roll with your best players. That's not what Rudy is best at. He's an excellent player. He does a lot of things well. So I just see a team w- with an opportunity to beat the Mavericks, but because of that, a ton of pressure on them. Um, do you, I, I don't want to spoil the rest of your list. Do you have Gobert or are you going just Mitchell? I had just Mitchell, but I guess you can put it as a pairing. Um, I can definitely see that. The reason I put Mitchell on his own is because 
the the talk, the narrative. I personally think that Gobert is the most important player on their team. Agreed. Um, I would honestly say he's probably the best as well. Even Agreed. though they probably get me, I don't know, stoned on Twitter because everyone thinks that aesthetically pleasing basketball is like the best basketball. <laughs> Not really. Like the guy's very effective what he does, and I think that there is pressure on Donovan Mitchell to, like you said, prove that he can be more efficient on the offensive end, but also. Have some pride on defense. I yes. mean, frankly speaking, he's not been a very good defender on the perimeter. And of all the perimeter guys that they have who are not good defenders, he's the one where you look at him and say he should be a better defender than what he is. Um, he has the athleticism. It's just the want to. And he hasn't wanted to, from what I've seen, play solid defense. And it leaves Rudy in a very you know, tough situation to always have to clean up the mess. And because of that, Rudy gets a lot of the blame for – what happens now granted is he a great offensive weapon no but at the same time i think that what he does at his best is better than what mitchell does at his best like rudy gobert is a great rim protector he does that in his sleep um great rebounder does that in his sleep but with mitchell i mean yes he scores a lot of points but as you pointed out i mean if you need 30 shots to get 30 points um you're basically playing into the mavericks hands so Donovan Mitchell might say, well, yeah, my effort on defense isn't great because I, I've got to take 30 shots because we don't have enough other creators. Uh, I don't think that's good enough. Uh, maybe that's the case, but but that's not going to be the answer to win in the playoffs. Your goal is to win. you got to you know, figure out how to have the energy to do both. And maybe that means you know deferring to Mike Conley or, or Bojan Bogdanovic a little more to, to find that right balance. The right balance also might include setting up Rudy Gobert a little more on, on uh, offense, let him – get some touches in the flow, right? Not force feeding him, but run a pick and roll where he can get going downhill and finish. Uh, see if there's something there. And, you know, Rudy's playing his butt off defensively uh, because of that bad perimeter defense. Uh, you know, like you said, he's been in bad spots. That's uh, not so much his fault. But I do also wonder, you know, if there, it's hard to build a good playoff defense uh, around him. Uh, again, the biggest problems are on the perimeter defense. But the reason I included him is, Hey, if this doesn't work, and you know there's these tensions between these two stars, uh, if this is leading to the team getting broken up, I, I think that might be a mistake. Be- you know, who knows what they could get for either player? But the idea that you, know, you have two good players, and maybe you'd rather just see if they can figure things out. As unlikely as that is, it, I'd rather have two good players and hope for the best personality-wise. If this team is get getting broken up, it's probably Rudy Gobert going. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean. He's the. Le- it seems like he's like the least liked guy, <laughs> least liked star <laughs> around the league. Every All Star weekend, he's like the last guy picked or whatever. Um, but I do think that'd be interesting going forward, just because they're the team that I feel like they they win fifty games every year these last few years. But does anyone really believe in the Jazz? I, I don't know anyone that really believes in them enough to think that they're a real title contender. I love how often, you know, whenever guys talk about Defensive Player of the Year and uh, fellow players talk about Candace, they're like they always leave out Rudy Gobert. Definitely uh, disliked around the league. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a running joke, but hey, like I said, I'll give the man his flowers. He's, he's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. Obviously, he was a finalist again this year. And um, again, whatever happens going forward, whatever happens going forward, but for now, him and Donovan Mitchell definitely have become on the same page. In, in, my, in my personal opinion, have some pride and, and really take it to the Mavericks who, you know, very well could, you know, get Luka back for this next game. And that obviously changes a lot of things. So you drop one, but you shouldn't be dropping too many more if Luka isn't available or if he comes back and he's not the same Luka that we're all accustomed to. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. My number four is Mike Buddenholzer, the Bucks coach. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like this. We're, we're recording right after uh, they, they lost game two to the Bulls. Uh, I think he was even less impressive in game one. Just some real strange decisions, especially down the stretch. Giannis had five fouls to pull Giannis uh, in the final minute with five fouls. You don't want to foul out. Like, the game's almost over. You probably should have your best player on the floor. If he fouls out, he fouls out. Uh, you could maybe just avoid overtime by playing your best player. Uh, and the, in game two, just just a team that didn't really seem to ha- have much flow, much going offensively when Giannis sat. Um, the defensive attentiveness wasn't there. Um, just does not look like a sharp, well-coached team. And look, at it, he's coming off a championship. That's going to buy him a, a, a lot of leeway. I, I don't expect the Bucks to fire Bunholes or anything like that. But remember, he was on the hot seat last year until they won. If if they had lost to Brooklyn, if Kevin Durant's shoe were just a little smaller, as everybody likes to say, uh, maybe Budenholzer would have been fired. I think he's an excellent regular season coach. A uh, lot of questions about his playoff coaching. If you want to keep contending for championships with Giannis, you can't just say, well, he won a title. He did. He proved to be a good enough coach to win the title. But do you want to have just barely a good enough coach to win a title, or do you want to have a good playoff coach? Uh, it's increasingly look like the Bucks might be facing that that choice. I think they'll roll with Budenholzer for a while, but for somebody coming off a championship, having, having all of the job security that comes with that, yeah, those same old questions about Budenholzer are already reemerging. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I mean, um, I get, I tip my cap to coaches who win a championship. It's hard. It wasn't like it was they, – they were this super, super team last year. They, I mean, obviously, you had to make some adjustments to get it done, and obviously having Giannis helps. But looking at the game tonight, um, it just seemed like – very early Cleveland Cavaliers LeBron days. <laughs> like you just roll it out and hey, Giannis go one on five and just kick it out and get fouled. And it's like that, it felt very choppy. And it's like if Giannis isn't making his free throws or if he's, you know, not being as efficient as he, as he normally is. And by efficient, I mean Giannis is usually like 60% or up, you know, most of the time. It seems like he gets a bunch of dunks and stuff. But if they wall up, you kind of need somebody else to, to step up or some, some other action going on. Just some other motion, like maybe on the weak side, because it just seemed so stagnant and so predictable. And on top of that, obviously, it was just announced that, uh, you know, Chris Middleton has an MCL sprain, which isn't good. Um, so that could definitely change, change, change things for game three. And then you just gave the, the Bulls a bunch of confidence. Um, I thought that they should have blitzed DeRozan a little bit more to get the ball out of his hands, make someone else beat you. Um, and it worked, you know, well pretty late. And, you know, he made a few plays here and there, but. There are definitely some some adjustments that you could see 
that were not made um, that maybe should have been made. But at the same time, this is why he gets paid the big bucks and then maybe why I can sit up here and make a podcast about it because, um, you know, these, these are tough decisions that, that have to be made. But um, at the same time, um, that's exactly why he's in that seat is just because you can't, as great as Giannis is, you can't expect him to come down and, and 50 times in a game, you know, be the entire offense. You got to do something else to mix it up and take some of that pressure off of him because as great as Giannis is, and is 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 indestructible, indestructible as he seems to be. He's not, man. You don't want to, you know, basically run him into the ground before you can really get your, you know, playoff footing going. This could go either way. I generally give him credit for figuring out to play your top players a lot of minutes in the playoffs. That used to be a, a bigger problem with him, not giving mm-hmm. his stars big minutes in the playoffs. But you're right. There is that downside uh, of guys getting run down, especially the the way their offense works. So who is your number three? All right, so this is this changed as of last night. My number three is Chris Paul. Ah, my number two. You're you're taking yeah. the all my whole list. Yeah. So and I and I have number I have number three Chris Paul because and I guess it's fitting that he's CP three. <laughs> um, I have him there because of the Devin Booker injury, which is just extremely unfair for the Suns and. Chris Paul's career, and it feels, it feels like every time he had a legitimate shot to do something, um, he ran into you know the the apex warriors or some weird fluky injury messes up you know what could have been. And for him, it's usually him, but at this time, it's Devin Booker, the younger guard, the guy who should be healthy. And now you got a series. I mean, it's one one. If they had gutted this out and been up two zero with Devin Booker pulled hamstring, I probably wouldn't have him at number three. Um, but now I think you have a confident Pelicans group who has a guy who has proven, you know, and proved in the last game that he could be the best player on the floor, which is Brandon Ingram. You got CJ McCollum, who at any given time could get, could get going. I feel like he plays with some of the best pace in the league as far as being able to just be, you know, um, steady, smooth, in a rhythm, never rushed. And I think that. You know, a lot is riding on this series, and honestly, you probably want to get it over as quick as possible so you have enough, you know, have more rest for, for Devin Booker. So, um, I I know it's unfair to put more pressure on Chris Paul, but with the talk, you know, coming into this postseason, you got DeAndre Aiden. I was listening to him saying, you know, we're the best team in the league. You got Cameron Payne saying we're the best team in the league. Um, yeah, you're the best team in the league all year, but. The best team in the league is the one at the end with the trophy. And, and frankly speaking, no one really cares about who's the best team in the regular season. Um, you've been great for two regular seasons, but um, that's that one crown jewel that Chris Paul is missing. And you do not want to to get into a long, you know, a playoff series with these Pelicans um, because, as we know, in the playoffs, anything can really go. So you don't want to get stuck in this, stuck in a hole or stuck in a game seven where you're, you know, basically anything goes, a lucky bounce here, a bad call there, or a tough shot here, or something like that changes, you know, what could have been a really special season. So um, we'll see. I mean, Chris Paul is, is is a great point guard, one of the greatest players ever for a reason. And at 36, um, I know everyone talks about LeBron's age, Chris Paul is going to have to put on that cape and, and do some things we probably haven't seen before. You know, I will see who else is on the rest of your list, but I'll tell you, there's nobody else on my list that I'm more confident in succeeding amid this pressure than Chris Paul. Now, he wasn't quite good enough in Game 2, but he's an excellent player. He can lead this team without Devin Booker, but he has to now, right? He, I mean, it, it worked out well for him, 
throughout the season that he could kind of pick his spots of when he wanted to take over, when he wanted inference, because you have another great guard like Booker. That luxury is gone. That pressure is on him because the stakes are so mm-hmm. high. Uh, not only was this the best team in the regular season, this was the best team by far in the regular season. Absolutely. And, and I think a very deserving and probably should have been even a bigger championship favorite coming into the playoffs. You know, that's the opportunity for Chris Paul. It's it's all there in front of him. Now he's got to step up while Booker's out. I'm not worried about the Pelicans. I, I don't think they're going to have too much pressure with the Pelicans, even if Booker is out. But you get later and later, you know, who knows when Booker is going to be back. So it's just so much on Chris Paul's shoulders. But I, I think he can handle I think he can deliver. The Suns are not a, a one-player, two-player, three-player team. I mean, they're deep with, with good mm-hmm. players. Um, but now it's very clear it's on Chris Paul to lead them. Absolutely. I mean, and then just to kind of piggyback off of that, as you said, they're not, you know, a one or two man team and they have the experience to back it up. I mean, all these guys went deep in the playoffs last year. They played in finals games, so they're not new to this. I would probably feel a little more apprehensive if you're saying, hey, Chris Paul, you go out there with a bunch of new guys or inexperienced guys. All these guys have been battle tested and they they know what it takes to win series, to win big, to win um, when it matters most. So. I'm not, like, too worried, but I do think I'm more intrigued than I was coming into this mm-hmm. series just because I, I assumed that it would, it would be a sweep, and I, and I kind of still feel that way if Devin Booker doesn't get hurt. He had 31 in the first half of last game. If he's not hurt, he'd probably end the game with at least 40, and they're up 2-0, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, the Pelicans probably play good or as good as they're going to play in game two, and they still lost. But as we know, injuries change a lot of things in sports, and now it's very interesting to see how the rest of this thing is going to play out. You know, one risk with this, if you remember uh, back to that 2018 Rockets team you talked about when the Warriors yep. were so full strength, and uh, Chris Paul gets hurt. And in some ways, that was unlucky. But it also happened in part because he was an older player, and the Rockets needed a ton from him. He yep. played heavy minutes. Uh, he had a big role. And, you know, th- that left him more susceptible to injury. And if the Rockets, you know, maybe they could have built their team whole different. Probably not. But it, if they had said, okay, well, we're going to limit Chris Paul's minutes because he's older, because he's more susceptible to injury. You know what happened? They just would have lost easy anyway. They needed him to play the big miss and hoped he didn't get hurt. That was their only chance. And the Suns aren't quite in that boat. Definitely not against the Pelicans. Uh, maybe not against... Uh, whoever they play in the next round. Uh, but as the deeper they go in the playoffs, you head toward that, and you might just have to hope that Chris Paul doesn't get hurt if you're putting that big load on him. Absolutely, and that's the one thing. It's like I feel like he kind of hit like a, a wall in the finals last year. I know he had dealt with some injuries throughout the playoffs and had to have, I believe, surgery and stuff like that after the season. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely those points where you kind of know hey, you know, as great as he is, he's still human. And you definitely – you're not necessarily playing for this round. You're playing for, those, like you said, that late push where you're trying to chase that first ring. And at that point, you want to make sure that you can go as hard as you can or, or play as many minutes as you can because you didn't overdo it in the beginning. But as we just said, like if you don't get out of the first round or the second round, it doesn't matter. So it's 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 a definitely a tedious task for – Monty Williams, but I'm, it's one I'm sure he's up for. And if anybody knows his body at this point, it's Chris Paul. The cool thing about it is Chris Paul is at his best. Like, if we're not looking at the bigger picture, if we're not looking at trying to stay healthy or get his teammates involved for the long run so they have confidence and rhythm, just in the small picture, Chris Paul is at his very best when he's trying to take over. He doesn't do it that often. He did it in that fourth quarter in game one, and it was awesome to see. And we'll yeah. probably get some more of that. 
Absolutely. He's I mean, he's him and Devin Booker in clutch time. Uh, they are probably the scariest duo on duo in the league. And I don't even think I mean, this is just hyper but you know i'm exaggerating a little bit but i do believe that chris paul does not miss when it comes to <laughs> the last five minutes you know getting the, the pick and roll snake dribble pull up at the mid range like he just does not miss when it comes to these big shots i mean he missed one the other night and i'm like this guy's probably shooting 90 percent in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line so he just seems so relaxed and that's why i think that um you know, he, his fan base, the people in you know Phoenix, I've traveled there this year. They're pretty hyped up. I mean, they're so excited for him to get a chance to, to you know, make a run at a, at a championship because he's made so many championship caliber plays in his career. It just hasn't culminated with, like, that one season where it's all come together. I mean, if you stack everything he's done in his career, I mean, he has everything you could ever ask for except for that, that, that one run. So we'll see. But, yeah, Chris Paul is just – it's incredible, seriously, to see him do what he does at 36. I know, like I said, everyone talks about LeBron's age and what he's doing. Make sure you give Chris Paul his flowers. Also, because he's only like 6'1", and probably in real life, like six feet. You know, so it's it's it's, inc- it's remarkable to see and something we shouldn't just, um, you know, uh, kind of gloss over. You know, you said, oh, he's shooting 90% in the clutch. It feels like he never misses. Like, that's the expectation now. Yep. That's why he's on this list. That's what they need from him. Yep. Maybe he'll deliver. He's, he's definitely capable. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, who do you have uh, number two on your list? You already uh, took my number one and number two, so I'm going to let you go ahead with one more. Who's your number two? My number two is Kyrie Irving. Mm. Um, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I mean, you could. I could present you a litany of reasons as to why um, he has the most pressure, um, especially at this point. I mean, I believe he had ten points tonight, four for thirteen shooting from the field. Um, did not play good. And this is after the whole, you know, back and forth with the fans in Boston. I could care less about that. I mean, I don't really care if. They go at it. I don't really care what he does to provoke fans or they do to provoke him in a sense. Um, I think that there's going to be a healthy disdain on both sides going forward, probably forever. But, I mean, you do all that and you kind of lay an egg. Um, So, And then on top of that, you just look at the totality of the season. I mean, this is a guy who was willing to basically sit out the entire year until he was allowed to play as an unvaccinated player. And I don't really have a – you know – I don't have anything against what he's uh, believes in when it comes to that, but that is something to factor in as far as 
where they are, what seeding they have right now. If he plays an entire season, they're probably not the seventh seed right now and playing this Boston team. Um, but since they are, you got to step up, man. I mean, he is not um, – he did not play well um, tonight at all. Um, he was phenomenal, obviously, in the first game, 39 points, but kind of got caught up ball watching him and KD on the last play. Um, but I think that with all the talk, all the chatter, and with me looking at Kyrie's career ever since he left Cleveland – you've not really accomplished anything. I mean, um, I don't ever want to give all of his, like, you know, success to LeBron. I think that what they did in Cleveland was special because they both were there and they both were at their absolute peak when they, you know, got things done and made that historic 3-1 comeback. But since then, man, it's like, hey, you said you wanted to be with KD. You're the one who said you looked over and said this is the same. And another guy who could make every shot that I can make. And right now you guys are, are two games down in the first round. It could be bounced out again and, and it have nothing to show for it. So for all the hype that went into, you know, him going to Brooklyn, him teaming up with KD, obviously they had James Harden for a while until so he forced his way out. Um, for everything that's happened, it's like, dude, if you can't even get out of the first round with alongside Kevin Durant, that's 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 a tough look. That is not good for, um, I, I don't want to say legacy talk. I hate the legacy talk, but it's not good um, if you look back on your career and you're saying, Hey, the one time I won was with the LeBron, and then and then also saying the one time I ever got close was with LeBron. I mean, with the, the talent you have around you, um, obviously it's been a kind of weird in Brooklyn with some of the, you know, lineups and injuries, and obviously Ben Simmons still being out. But at the bottom line, I mean, you're, uh, you know, you're you're a great player. LeBron saying you're a top seventy-five. All these people saying you're top seventy-five, even though you technically weren't. I don't care what you are, but you got to figure it out, man. Because at this point. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, conversations about who you are as a player and as a leader if you cannot get it done, at least in the first round with this Brooklyn group. I agree with everything you said, but here's why uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, the Nets did not crack my list. Do they feel any pressure? I The vibe I get is this they feel the like <laughs> – they feel like this was a lost year. You know, Kyrie had all this stuff with the vaccine and, you know, Duran had some injury issues and like they're the seventh seed and they're not supposed to win. And, you know, they'll have another year and th- this just isn't their year. Like they just don't seem the way they talk to have the level of desperation uh, that would make me think the pressure is really rising on them as much as I think it should be. You have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving healthy together in the playoffs. Kyrie Irving is fairly fresh. Uh, it might not get any better than this. They might look back and say, yep, that was our very best chance. That was the best team we had in the playoffs, and uh, we didn't have the right level of urgency. If, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Now, maybe they'll be even better next year. Uh, they have Ben Simmons on their roster. I'm not expecting much from him in this postseason. Maybe uh, by next year, you know, whether that's him directly. They also have the uh, extra draft picks they got from the Harden-Simmons trade. Right? Mm-hmm. They have some assets and some time to build up this roster around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But with everything going on around those stars, I would say, yeah, I agree with your take. There should be a lot more pressure on them, uh, the way things have unfolded in the series. Uh, even though they're down 2-0, they were com- very competitive, very, very competitive for one game, and uh, quite competitive for the bulk of another game before fading down the stretch. Uh, this should be desperation time, and it should reflect very negatively on them, if they even as the seventh seed. Uh, if they go out uh, in the first round to a Celtics team missing Robert Williams, I think that makes these not quite the same Celtics that have been real, real excellent down the 
the stretch of the regular season. So I, I think that pressure should be there on them. But if they're not accepting it, if they're not feeling it, I couldn't quite put them in my top four. Yeah, and then he, and then he had the quote tonight where he says, you know, the timing is right for the Celtics to contend and the window's open for these guys. And it's like, why the Tyree hell? said that? Yes, he said oh. this, you know, uh, this is Jared Weiss, who, you know, from The Athletic who reported this. And it's like, what? I, I don't want to hear this if, if I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan or if, I, if I'm in the Brooklyn Nets front office. As long as these guys are already conceding that, yeah, hey, it's, it's their time. It's their window. It's like, no, bump that. You're, you're with Kevin Durant. You know, uh, a few days ago, you got T-Max saying you two, you two are the most skilled duo of all time or one of the most you know skilled duos of all time. And then you both come out and make four shots. And I think Kevin Durant was four for 17. You're four for 13. Um, you got to figure it out and, and, and in some capacity win a game. I mean, you're down 2-0. I don't think they're going to get to that. But, I mean, to me, their season depends on this game three. They lose game three. I do not see them winning four games. I don't care how that happens. I you don't think they're a mentally tough team that, that can uh, make a historic comeback and really persevere no, through the no, setback? No, man. And I truly don't even believe, like, in, in their coaching staff too much. I don't think that Steve Nash really runs much offense. I mean, their team, as we know, I'm not saying anything that's not unknown. Their team is Katie and Kevin, you know, and, and Kyrie Irving, and it's basically – you go one on one, and you go one on one. If we both get thirty and, and, and get a little bit of help from the other guys, we'll have a pretty good chance to win the game. But that's that's a lot to ask every single playoff game for both of your guys to never be off, never have a rough shooting night, and to you know give you thirty plus. Just have a a, a decent chance to win because they don't really play great defense. So um, we'll see. I mean, they're a unique team. I think they they obviously have um, when they're rolling and they're at their peak they look you know otherworldly, but when I really sit down and look at it, even when they played the Pacers they were you know in the last game of the regular season they were up I believe eighteen on the Pacers or about twenty points and let them come back and and then the only thing that really willed them over the top is because they had two of the best players in the world but I was looking at myself looking at the, the game and thinking to myself this team's supposed to win a championship. No way. I mean, their entire offense is literally just like you stand here, you go one-on-one, you go one-on-one. And I just don't think that's a winning formula for the NBA, um, you know, just because there's so many other talented guys around the league. And obviously in this Boston series, you got two other guys on the opposite side and a better supporting cast that's uh, not going to concede anything. You know, aside from the part about not running the offense that way, I think the Stars agree with you, though. I just think they think, yeah, this is not a championship team. They've won championships too, right? That adds a little mm-hmm. level of desperation. That's why I, I said at the beginning, James Harden, I think, has the most pressure on him of anybody in the playoffs. He hasn't won a championship. KD, Kyrie, they have, and you know they know what that looks like. This is not a typical championship team, right? We've never seen a championship team like this, a seven seed, so many struggles throughout the regular season. But you and I also see a team with talent, a team with an upside. That could be a historic team with the right mentality. I just don't think they have enough of that mentality to even feel the pressure. Exactly. I completely agree. Um, but the nonchalantness is, is, is should be infuriating for anyone involved with the Nets because, I mean, you don't go all in. You don't make all these trades. You don't call hey, out this luxury the mayor tax bill. of New York. Yeah, to basically <laughs> – you know, I'm okay with that part. I'm okay with uh, you. You can be whatever crummy team you want, good team, whatever. You want to call out a mayor of your city? I'm okay with that. Yeah, but I just, I just feel like if you do all that, then you should be very invested in trying to actually, you know, capitalize on these championship aspirations that you all have talked about 
all season long. And I know Steve Nash is still saying they're trying to get it together and all that. Dude, it is not December anymore. Um, whatever you got, you got to figure it out now or you will be going home soon. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of hype around that series. And then on the other side, you got kind of like a coming of age tale with, with you know, Jason Tatum and, and, and Jalen Brown because – those two guys are have obviously been in the playoffs before, but it seems like this could be their best shot to really make some noise. My number three, we're going to circle back, Grizzlies general manager Zach Kleiman. I look at Memphis, and in game one, I saw a team that wasn't ready for the playoffs in a lot of ways, still trying to kind of play like it's the regular season, using their depth, a, a game plan that wasn't so tailored to the opponent, a lot of great adjustments. Maybe uh, by accident in game two, Stephen Adams going to the bench being the big one. He got in foul trouble early, never came back, but credit Taylor Jenkins for no, never bringing him back. And, you know, the way the Grizzlies played in game two, I see a team with a lot of upside. John Morant is, is a generational player. There's a special opportunity there and a lot of other good players. So I, I see a team that could go either direction and has a ton of assets. They have extra first-round picks. They've got all these young players. They have this depth. Uh the only time we've really seen them take a swing was for Justice Winslow. That did not work. Uh, they hired a good coach in Taylor Jenkins. Maybe the roster is more ready for the playoffs than Taylor Jenkins. You might have a tough choice there. I just, you know, with, with the Tim, uh, the Grizzlies' ups and downs already, they can go any direction. So, yes, the pressure is not felt yet, right? They can enjoy this playoff run. There's still a young team coming up. But the pressure is on the general manager to figure out how do you take this next step? Because we've seen a team capable of being excellent in the playoffs and a team capable of not being ready for the playoffs. So how do you make sure it's the former, not the latter? I can agree with this. I mean, when I had a chance to see the Grizzlies, that's my number one concern is in the playoffs, it usually comes down to how many bona fide stars you have and then then how experienced or seasoned your role players are. And if you're going, in my opinion, based off of star power, I would say the Timberwolves have more of that because I think they have two stars in Anthony uh, Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and even, you know, a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who has been struggling, um, is still, you know, known as being one of the better players in the NBA. Um, obviously, like you said, John Morant's a generational star. I think he's the best player in the series. But um, who's going to be that second star? And when you're questioning who's going to be every single night, I think that that's kind of hard to, to, to kind of depend on in the playoffs because there's so many adjustments that are being made and the stars are usually the ones who can basically, you know, mess up whatever schemes you have or coverages you, you plan because they're just that freaking good. So um, we'll see what happens. I do think that they are a regular season juggernaut because they have so much depth in shooting but as you said, you know, when you get in the playoffs, your rotations have to shrink. And, and secondly, you need guys who are who are going to be willing to, 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 to step up and, and, and kind of seize the moment because the rim doesn't really look the same in game, you know, 75 as it does in, you know, in game three when, you know, basically whoever wins that is most likely to win the series. So um, I'm excited about it, but I, I kind of think that Memphis is in a situation where, um, they could be a tad overrated just because they may be overachieved in, 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 the, in, the, in the regular season. But at this point, like you said, it's all about adjustments, like all that depth and moving the ball. Like, yeah, like that that's great. And it does work to a certain extent. But when the game slows down, which it always does in the playoffs, 
you need to be able to rely on guys who, who are going to be there and give it to you every single game. And right now, like the only person I can really count on that I know is going to be there is John Morant. And I'm like, okay, who else is going to come with them? So um, we'll see. I mean, they're an exciting team. I was like injury in that building. They're a fun team. They're a young team. But um, hey, that's exactly it. Like, you're young, you're exciting, but can you actually do it for real? Which is probably going to make every Memphis fan who listens to this upset. But I promise I'm not a hater. I'm just curious to see if they're as real as their record, you know, second in the league, um, says they are. No, no, it's not hating at all. It's really the opposite. I, I, you know, so we see the potential in them. We, we see what that upside is if you – take all these assets, these tools, these players, many of whom are already good and capable of contributing, and figure out which ones are keepers for the playoffs, which ones are more regular season players. And the fact that they've overachieved, like you said, is exactly why there's so much pressure on Zach Climate. It's been such a, a blessed existence in Memphis for this team. Uh, they've been <laughs> one step ahead of any expectations for a while. Well, expectations are rising quickly as this team is competitive in the playoffs. How does he keep the roster, the coaching staff, everything in place? Also, one step ahead of expectations going forward. Not easy, uh, but I, I think you've got to be more aggressive to do it. You can't just sit back and say, "Hell, oh, this young team is going to grow into a a really good playoff team." I don't think that's quite the case. I think they're just a little bit, just a little bit too much uh, uh, toward being a, a regular season team with their style. Where you're going to have to be proactive, make a move, and say, "Hey, we can trade some of these players." Uh, for a team that wants depth, a team that's more interested in competing in the regular season and try to get uh, a player who's more of a, a playoff player. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that that should be heavy on their minds, especially depending on how this postseason run goes because, I mean, it's very hard to, to, to really make a run of the championship in the NBA without that second bona fide star. I mean, when's the last sure. time you saw somebody win a championship who didn't have – a true second star. Was it Dirk Nowinski in 2011? I mean, yeah, probably. I'm trying to think of every team since then. And there's usually two, if not three, who are guaranteed to be there every single game. I mean, you see Milwaukee, they were kind of teetering for a couple of years and they, they took a big swing and got Drew Holiday. And he's a big reason why they got over the top last year. So um, interesting to see, exciting to see. But at the same time, um, I'm sure if I, if I say this too loud, John Morant's going to think I'm a hater and, and, I, and more power to him. I think one thing I admire about him is that he finds motivation in everything. And if there's one guy who believes they can do anything or beat anyone, it's him. And, and for good reason, because he's been spectacular. Yeah, the exact right mentality you want. I do think Jaron Jackson Jr. Could, could develop into being that second star. Maybe Desmond Bain becomes that third star. But you still, like you were talking about earlier, you still need the right role players around the stars. And it might be helpful to get somebody else a star and just say, oh, Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be that great role player instead and not necessarily have to become that. If they become that another star, that's even a bonus. We've had way, way, way too much agreement on this. I'm really hoping your number one pick here is something I'm completely off board with. Uh, but so far, hasn't been that way. But let, let's give it one more chance. Who is your number one team, player, whoever, entity that has had the most pressure added to them since the playoffs began? I believe it is Kevin Durant, um, which I know will probably shock some people. Oh, it's not James Harden. No, mainly because they're up 3-0 right now. Um, he is not playing as, as great as he probably should be given his uh, his – his, his, his resume and what he's accomplished in the league. I do think that James Harden is frankly just getting old 
and probably a little out of shape, so he's not going to be the same player we saw with 60-point triple-doubles a few years ago. But the reason I have Kevin Durant as my number one player with the most pressure is because, unfairly, he's looked at as the generational talent, the guy who is, is in the conversation with you know, among the game's greatest, people consider him to be the greatest scorer of all time. And I think, you know, with the way he won his first two rings, you know, joining the Golden State team that was already loaded. And and this is one thing I know will make you mad. I don't care. He went there and he still was the best player on the team. I mean, that's no debate in my opinion. Okay, finally we get some disagreement. I think Steph Curry was the best player on that team. Durant was the best player in those finals. He was, he was leading the team at that moment. But overall, everything they brought to the team, I'll take Steph Curry. Okay, I can agree with this take. But I, I'll say, when it came down to a chips fall in the finals, who you're turning to, you're turning to that, that guy who can get his shot off against anybody, and he was lethal. He was fantastic. He was the finals MVP. I do think that Steph deserves his finals MVP. Well, I can talk about it some other time. But, you know, love Iggy, but they, they robbed my man Steph. They, anyway, robbed LeBron, they robbed LeBron. My, <laughs> that too. I mean, the whole Iggy thing is just one of those weird things where if you didn't watch the series, you're going to look back and think, like, how the heck did this happen? If you're some, you know, 10-year-old years from now down the road, you're thinking, like, who the heck decided this? But um, getting back I'll to tell the, I'll tell the 10-year-old I, I watched the series and I still don't know how it happened. <laughs> exactly. But I do think that KD's under the most pressure right now because I, I look at him and then I look at LeBron, I look at Giannis in a different like tier. I look at them to and put more pressure on them because of how great they are. And I think yeah. with the way um, KD is going, it's like, hey, man, these, these are probably the – it's probably the worst two-game stretch I've seen for KD in the playoffs in quite some time. Um, he didn't shoot it well in game one. Um, he was even worse in game two. And it seems like I- I've never seen a team defend him as well as Boston has. Um, they've given him fits. A lot of it is the physicality. And then, two, it seems like his ball handling is just looser than usual. I mean, one of the biggest reasons why you marvel at Kevin Durant is because he's, you know, a seven-footer who can handle the ball like a guard and can, and can shoot. But – He's just not seemed in rhythm at all. One positive for the Nets could be that he saw the ball go through the net a lot tonight from the from the free throw line. So maybe that gets him in rhythm. But I think that if you you know he's he's kind of been this this throughout his career um, looked at is is he the best player in the league and, and you know is he defensively the best player in the league and I think that if you want to say you're the best player in the league, you need to find a way to win this series against Boston or at least play better so it doesn't look like it's blatant you're your fault for, for why they're losing um i know it's unfair because um he's done so much for that team already and even this year um he's played fantastic but in this series alone these first two games he has not looked like kevin durant the all world all nba all-time great player he's looked very human um, which is, again, unfair to say, but when you're Kevin Durant, the, st- the standards are just higher for you because you've raised the bar so, so high. Um, so that's why I think he has the most pressure, and mainly because they're also in a 2-0 hold. Like, man, you're supposed to be the guy. You cannot, you cannot let this team, this Boston team, go up 3-0 and, 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 and end your season so prematurely. I do think that if you lost in seven, it's, it's a valiant effort. You can kind of, you know, look at, like, the Bucks series last year where, hey, Katie did his thing and just didn't have enough help. But, I mean, you and Kyrie got to get together. If you, if you notice, 
him and Kyrie were my, were my one and two. And the reason mm-hmm. I put more pressure on KD is because he's the better player, frankly. So, um, again, unfair, but that's just the standard that I hold him, LeBron, Giannis to, because I think those three players um, and probably a few others, if I really rack my brain, even Steph, like those are the players I hold to the highest of highest standards because um, they're the all-time greatest. So they're the ones that are, you know, when it's all said and done, they're going to be in competition with the greatest of the game. And, and, and frankly speaking, um, he has not looked like anything great through these first two games. I mean, he's besides his free throw shooting, I don't know what he's done really that well besides just uh, be available. So um, we'll see. I think that KD will bounce back just because he's KD. But, man, does it, it looks weird, and it feels weird to be talking about back-to-back KD games where he's been inefficient. I mean, when's the last time this guy had two games where – he shot well below 50% from the field. Yeah, I would agree with you. I still have the same complaint I, I had uh, when we talked about Kyrie as far as putting him on the list, which is, do they care? Do they feel the pressure? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, from, from everything that, that Kevin Durant has accomplished, uh, you know, you can say that all oh, those Warriors titles, not that they don't count, but they're a little different, right? You, you joined this team that yep. was in great shape. Uh, I don't think he feels that way. I don't feel like he feels like he... At least that's how he talks. Uh, you know, I don't know what he's feeling deep down, but at least how he talks about it, he, he doesn't sound like he's driven to prove everybody wrong that he can carry a team and, uh, you know, that this is the year. I agree yeah, with you. Thing. It should be. He left. He left. You could have stayed with, with Steph Curry. You could have kept winning championships. Um, our friends would think that obviously it's a better situation. You left, which is his right. I mean, I'm not killing a guy for that. I mean, all these guys, whenever they switch teams, whatever. I'm totally fine with it because it just makes it more interesting for me to watch. However, you chose the situation. Now you have to make the most of the situation and, again, give your team a shot to, to at least win in the first round, which he hasn't really done through the first two games, which is, again, so, so weird because I'm watching KD miss shots that I know he could make in his sleep. And I almost feel like, you know, if he was, if, if he was to – I don't know, reset or, or, or get a get a if we woke up and and, and game two is getting played, I would I would not think that he's gonna shoot like that bad again just because this guy is, is that great. So there obviously aren't no redos. I think if we redid or re-simulated both of those games, there's no way KD would shoot that bad. But the reality of the matter is he's gotta be better and I think that he will be better. But uh, until he is better, he's got the most pressure. And I like the way you obviously ask me these questions because I don't think I would ever have KD on my list coming into these playoffs. But seeing that they're in a 2-0 hole and he's the reason why, um, him and Kyrie, I would say, yeah, like that. these are these are high-pressure moments. And he's been a high-pressure player, so I expect him to bounce back for sure. Yeah, I I'm, I agree with you. I, I think that's how it should be. I, I'm just not convinced enough that, that he feels the same way and leaving the Warriors. <laughs> It is I, I think even more evidence that he's not kind of viewing it the same way, right? You wanna you wanna stay on this good team and you know, if you look at how much went well for him individually, for the Warriors as a team, nobody ever leaves that situation. Ever. Uh, yeah. you know, like Kawhi left the Raptors. That was one year. He had one year at the Raptors. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody is there like three years where it's enough time to show how great things can stay and remain, but a really short time. Nobody ever leaves. Just Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving, obviously another guy who uh you know, marches to the beat of his own drum. Uh, I don't think I'm feeling pressure for better or worse. Because, I, I mean, in some ways I think it's worse. Didn't, didn't it seem like Kevin Durant felt more pressure last year against the Bucks? That, to me, was a year where it felt like he thought the, the Nets could win, where he was going all out, 
where where you this is this is the most impressed maybe I've ever been with him is in that series that they lost where it felt like Kevin Durant knows that he has to do everything to put his this team on his back to lead them and the upside is there and he he did it all and it was so impressive even even in the loss and I'm just not seeing that same urgency this year. Yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, he was phenomenal last year. Um, and I do think part of that was obviously at James Harden. And, and maybe if you get out of that round against the Bucks and you get more rest and, and who knows, Kyrie's ankles get better, maybe you got a chance to really be at full strength and see what, see what happens. But that team obviously never panned out. And at this point, I think because it hasn't panned out, it's like, all right, well, you still got two stars. Um, you still got a bunch of guys who, you know, uh, throughout the season, we're, we're doing pretty well whenever you all were available. So it's like, hey, man, at this point, you got to figure it out and get the job done because you're Kevin, as, as Skip Bayless would say, Kevin bleeping Durant. Um, so you got you to figure it out. Uh, again, is it fair? No, but that's that's the burden that you carry as one of the all-time greats and, and a player that personally I've seen um, is, is, is up there with any player I've physically, personally seen in my lifetime, I know, you know, obviously I was, I'm only 26. I didn't see, you know, peak Michael Jordan. I didn't see a lot of these peak older guys. But, I mean, between Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, these are guys that will be on my short list of, of great players that I saw at their peak. And, and obviously, um, he's one that has still been at his peak after the Achilles. Uh, again, maybe I should cut him some slack for that. But it's like, no, you came back and you were a better player after the Achilles be that better player and, and help your team get, you know, be competitive and, and get the job done. Cause even in some of these games, I mean, it's not like the Celtics have been blowing them out. It, it's, it's really uh, been decided in the margins. And I think a lot of those margins have just been from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving missing uncharacteristic shots. And particularly with Kevin Durant turning it over at a very high rate. I mean, there's been times where they really haven't deflected a pass or the ball. He just dribbles it off his foot or dribbles it out of bounds. I'm like, hey, what's going on? So um, we'll see. Uh, like I said, I expect him to bounce back just because I can't – I would never bet on Kevin Durant having three bad games in a row. That just doesn't really happen for a guy of his caliber or anyone who's, who's as talented as he is. Well, let's make sure we give the Celtics defense some credit too. I mean, Jason Tatum, oh, Taylor Brown do a great job. Al Horford coming over to help. Marcus Smart coming from the top. Like they are making life difficult for him, uh, you know. Some of the ones where it seems like he's maybe just you know losing the ball, like he, you know, he's seen guys coming from all angles at him from everywhere. Yeah, that's number tough. one defense in the NBA for a reason. So I, mm-hmm. I do want to, yeah, I definitely want to give credit there. And I mean, they have the the prototypical NBA defensive, you know, uh, 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 switchability model. I mean, teams try to imitate it, but they have so many players that, that are able to switch and give you a different look and give you a different, um, you know, vibe. And it's definitely effective no matter who's out there. I mean, like you said, you got Al Horford switching out there. He's physical. Then you got the long and lanky Jason Tatum, who's become one of the better two-way players in the NBA. Jalen Brown. You got, obviously, the the defensive player of the year, who I'm mentioning fourth, (laughs) um, Marcus Smart. And then you got, you know, uh, Grant Williams, who's who's, who's uh-huh. a physical, stout guy. So I do want to give credit to them. Like you said, I have kind of glossed over it. But that's the best defense I've ever seen on Kevin Durant. And it seems like it's not going to get any easier. <laughs> I mean, it's working. Why not change it? So um, I'm, I'm excited to see him kind of get back to the drawing board and play a little chess and figure out where he can be more effective. But at the end of the day, um, like I said, I, I think you can only keep him down for so long. Um, to, to the point where he's, you know, 
not himself. I think that at th- that media is probably running thin. And he's due for a game where he breaks out and kind of reminds everyone that, you know, like he told uh, the media when they were playing uh, the Clippers that one time, I'm Kevin Durant. So, Well, I hope you're right. I hope there is the most pressure on Kevin Durant and Kyrie. I mean, that would make the playoffs a lot better. They've been very good already, but that's exactly what we need is those two feeling the pressure, bringing out the very best. Of mm-hmm. I hope you're right. James, thanks a ton for coming on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I mean, it's been a pleasure. Um, anytime you need me to hop on, I'm more than willing. Um, playoff basketball is the best time of the year just because this is when you get to see, um, obviously, the stars prove why they're stars. And along the way, like we mentioned with John Moran and a few others, you can see some budding stars really, you know, stake their claim. And I think there's a new age kind of coming along. Obviously, you got some some old dogs like Kevin Durant kind of hanging on. Even Kyrie Irving who's a veteran. But you definitely got a new wave coming along, which is exciting. And um, I'm excited just to see where you know where all the chips may be, where all the chips fall, just because it seems pretty wide open this year. Obviously, the, the Suns were the favorite, but with Devin Booker injury, with Golden State looking as good as they've done with Jordan Poole, um, it seems like it's wide open for the first time in a while. And I'm excited about that, just because you just never know. I mean, this is where you 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 get answers. You know, we, we speculate all season about who's going to be this, who's going to be that. And in a week's time, we'll know, you know, who was the best of the best. The, the fact that it's more wide open now adds pressure on everybody involved because the upside is the championship. The stakes yep. are, are higher. And, uh, you, you know, maybe the answer to this question is who is the pressure risen on? Well, with Devin Booker getting hurt and things getting more wide open and, you know, the Bulls have won a game and the Pelicans have won a game and they're, you know, at least a little bit in the mix in their series, but it didn't seem like it would be that way. Maybe the answer is just everybody. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.